Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Tonight, as we were singing, I felt the fruit of love. And then sometimes when we sing, I feel the fruit of peace. And then at other times, I feel the fruit of joy. When you look at the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace are the first three. Because those are such motivators for Christians to face, to, to help them endure and face the struggles of life. And so tonight I want to just take a couple minutes and I, you'll understand the title of my message once I get into it, but I'm calling it Joy Shared is Joy Magnified. Joy Shared is Joy Magnified. You can be seated if you want. If there are any breakout sessions, you can feel free to leave tonight. I don't know if many of you have ever heard a man named Rabbi Zacharias. Um, he was a Christian apologist, very intelligent man. And many times when he would start his dissertations, he would start it with a moment of brevity. So tonight, I, I want to just share a little story with you because joy and laughter break down barriers. Good public speakers are aware of that. Let me give you an example. This, uh, I came across this. I can't say it's a real story, but it could be. It could really be a real story. And um, I relate to the story because uh, I'm in it, I think. So... Here's the story. A large passenger plane is on its way across the Atlantic. It flies constantly at 500 miles per hour at 35,000 feet. When suddenly, an F-22 Raptor appears. Now, the pilot of the fighter jet slows down, flies alongside the Airbus, and greets the pilot on the passenger's plane by radio. Airbus flight, a boring flight, isn't it? Take care and have a look here. He rolls his jet on its back, accelerates, breaks through the sound barrier, rises rapidly to a dizzy height, only to swoop down almost to sea level in a breathtaking dive. He loops back next to the plane and asks, well, how is that? Now, the passenger pilot answer is very impressive. But now, have a look here. The jet pilot watches the plane, but nothing happens. It continues to fly stubbornly straight with the same speed. After five minutes, the plane pilot radios back to the fighter pilot, well, what are you saying now? Now the jet pilot asks, confused, well, what did you do? Well, the, other, the passenger pilot says, I got up, I stretched my legs, I went to the back to the, of the flight to the bathroom, 
got a cup of coffee and I'm eating a cinnamon cake. So what he's really saying is, when you get older, you don't need the stunts. There are sometimes our perspective changes on the things we're participating in. And so I wanted to start with that just to give you a little laugh before we started because uh, like I said, laughter is a very powerful, important thing in a person's walk for God. Let me share that by reading 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. Now Peter's writing this and he says, in all this you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you have tr- you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And notice what he says, and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you don't see him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with, the King James Version, I believe, calls it joy unspeakable. Now that song, Joy Unspeakable, was written by a man named Barney Wilson. I'm sorry, Barney Warren. And that was written back in 1900. And when, that, when he wrote that message, the whole, the whole song carried a message of exhilaration in a person's walk for God. Now we read, we we sang the chorus, but we didn't sing the verses. I just want to read one of the verses to you so that you can remember it as you sang it years ago. I have found the joy no tongue can tell, how its waves of glory roll. It's like a great or flowing well springing up within my soul. Again, I say that the very strength of our walk is based on our attitude. And it's not an accident that the Bible tells us that when God gave us the gifts of the Spirit, he gave them for the reason of profitability not only in our walk, but in other people's walks. Joy shared is joy magnified. Now we talked for several weeks about uh, the book of Nehemiah. Well, I want to jump back there for just a moment because in the eighth chapter, uh, something takes place that reflects on what I'm sharing tonight. Nehemiah is the governor at this time. Ezra is the prophet, he's the minister, he's the priest. Nehemiah governs, but Ezra teaches. Now I'm going to start reading from verse 1 in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. 
Now all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Matthiah, Shema, and I won't go through all these names. And in verse 5 it says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the lords of the law. And notice what Nehemiah said in verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Think about that. From the morning through most of the entire day, the people worshipped, they grieved, they repented. It was a solemn assembly. But when Nehemiah got up there, he looked at the people and said, these are all essential things that you're doing. It's great to hear the word of God. We have to hear the word of God. We have to respond to the word of God through a repentant heart and humility. But rest assured that it's the joy of the Lord that's going to be your strength. It's not your solemn assembly. It's not your grief. It's not your repentance. It's your joy that sustains you in your walk for God. It's not the sorrow of the Lord. It's not the brokenness of repentance. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice what Solomon says concerning us. He says in Proverbs 17, 22, And he sums it up really nice. A merry heart does good, like medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. There are times of solemn assemblies, but there have to be 
joyful moments that the church rejoices in the Lord. The very foundation of praise is built on two principles. The very, again, listen, the very foundation of praise is built on two essential principles. One is brokenness, and the other one is joy. Pain may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, how do those two pieces fit together? Brokenness reflects the human condition. Joy reflects the dimension of God in our condition. And I'm not just talking about a smile. I'm talking about jubilant worship, which cannot be contained. To the worshiper, it provides liberty and freedom of spirit, and it glorifies his creator. Notice, let me give an example of joyful worship. In Luke, the 19th chapter, Let me just, I'm going to go back here before I use that scripture. No, I'm going to go here anyways. I'll do it this, this I'm, going to, I'm going to go one step ahead and come one step backward. In Luke, the 19th chapter, verse 37. Now, when Jesus approached the descent of Mount of Beta Zeta, I don't know if I pronounced that right, all the crowds of disciples began rejoicing and praising God with loud voices for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Jehovah. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees from among the crowds were saying to him, Rabbi, rebuke your disciples. He said to them, I say to you, that if these would be silent, the stones would be crying out loud. Again, I point out, the worship expressed here in these verses is not a chanting type of worship. It's the kind of worship that is expressed when David danced before the Lord God, when the ark was brought to the house of the Lord. That's found in 2 Samuel, the 6th chapter, verse 14. This is a type of worship based and mixed with joy. Okay? You know, I, I have to confess, I'm going to carnal for a little bit. I have not had a good bowl of chili for such a long time. I love chili. I really love chili. I hate tomatoes, but I love chili. And my wife told me she was going to her mother's for three days, and they were having chili. And I, I really felt bad, and I, I was afraid to even ask if she would bring some back. But there are things that, that make that chili really good. Now, some people make it differently, but to me, a chili has got to be made in a particular way. I don't want noodles in my chili. I want real chili. 
Well, you know something? There's all types of worship. And people can throw whatever they want into, into worship. When I was single, I used to go into the cupboard and whatever I had, corn, noodles, I throw it all in a bowl or in a pan and I boil it and eat it. And some people say it looks terrible. Well, I guess I, I didn't know what was good at the time until I got married. But God really likes things cooked right. He really likes the right elements in worship. True worship does have repentance in it, but it has to have joy because the Lord rejoices in his people. Look at, look at David's worship. Verse 14 of 2 Samuel 6. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. What, what does that mean? With all his might. Every part of his body that could move was moving. There was a jubilancy in what he was doing. There were sounds coming from his lips that could not be separated from, from laughter to cries of joy and tears flowing down his face. He was totally enveloped before the Lord. And he was wearing his priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. I was talking to somebody today and they used to have a TV show on and I, can't, I don't even remember the name of it anymore, but I remember that there were three doors. Was it the price is right or something like that? And you had to pick a door. And behind one door there might be a booby prize and behind the next door there might be a vacation or on the third door maybe a car. Now, imagine someone comes to church and they're looking for a church and they have to pick a door. Out of one door comes groaning and sorrow and pain. Out of Another door behind the second curtain is there's jubilant laughter, joy overflowing. And out of the third door, there's no sound at all. Which door do you think they'll choose? Joy. Do you realize when I came to church, I was 20 years old. I was really messed up. A lot of you were messed up, so I don't feel bad saying that. A lot of your lives were just a wreck when you, you tried to find hope to live by and you found God. But when I came to that little Pentecostal church, Parkway, in 1972, there were only about 35 people there at the time. We were in the old sanctuary. And the thing that I remember about that first service was their joy. I can't remember the message. I can't remember the songs they sang. All I remember is how they had such joy in their worship. That night, something happened to me in the midst of their worship, that joyful worship. And this is the truth. I was sitting in the pew, much like you're sitting here tonight, and as they're worshiping, 
I said, what if someone could be as happy in their relationship with God as these people are? And when I said that to myself, that I asked that question, that was when the Spirit of God fell on me. I mean, like a waterfall. I began to feel the joy of their worship. I began to feel the presence of God. I can't tell, I think I left before the preaching because I couldn't control myself. And when I say I couldn't control myself, I was crying. I didn't even know why I was crying. I felt immersed in love and peace. I'd never felt anything like that. But that happened during the worship. Their presence of joy was intriguing and very appealing to me. Back in 19, between 1987 and 1999, before I, I moved up to Oconomowoc, I was pastoring in Plymouth, Wisconsin. And I remember we started out renting a congregational church on Sundays. And um, there was probably about 35 of us in that church. And there was a lady there. Her name was Cheryl Lynn Engel. And how many times do I remember that the spirit of joy would come on that lady and she would start to laugh. Now, you would think this would probably be out of order in a lot of churches. But she would be there. And you could feel it happen. You could almost feel it in the air. She would start to laugh. And just as love travels like a tsami across the congregation, and peace does too, the joy swept through all of us. And we all began to laugh. No jokes, no funny stories. The joy of the Lord entered the hearts of those that were there. Do you know how precious those times were? We didn't even know why we were laughing. We just felt joy. Do you have to have a reason to receive joy? Do you have to have a reason to feel the love of God? There's times that the love of God sweeps over you without any, any more motivational factor on your part. Joy is like that too. I'm not talking about joy that's worked up. I'm talking about spontaneous joy that originates from a thankful heart. Now, I have to share something with you. I, I came across the scripture in my Bible reading and I'm, just, I'm starting just to get near the end of, of my reading the Bible through for this year. I'm way ahead or way ahead or way behind. I don't know. Uh, I came across this verse, these verses in Matthew 9. And I've read this a hundred times, probably at least in 45 years. It says in Matthew 9, 27, and when Jesus departed thence, Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. 
Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And notice this. This stuck out when I read it. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, Seeing they see that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. I read that and I scratched my head. And uh, I have a vivid imagination. Everybody that knows me knows I have a great imagination. And I marveled at his request. Now, just for a moment, I want you to imagine the magnitude of the handicap that these, several, these two men have. These two men are totally blind. They've been following Jesus on his ministry, crying out for mercy and healing, possibly for quite some time. They could not accomplish the feat that Jesus accomplished for them by themselves. They needed a miracle. They're probably in their lifestyle begging for existence every day. Everybody in town knows them. They probably sit on, on the downtown corner of between Main and, and Fifth begging for alms so that they can buy bread because they, they can't work. Can you see the desperate position that they find themselves in as they seek deliverance from a condition that they may have had all their life. They believed that Jesus could heal them and they were persistent to the point that they received the healing. Well, like we read, Jesus touched their eyes and their eyes were open. And maybe for the first time in their entire life, they saw the beauty of creation. Maybe for the first time, in their entire life, if they were married, they saw the face of their son or their daughter, or for that matter, their wife. Maybe they, they saw the sun and the, and the clouds in the sky. Can you imagine how overwhelming it was, to say the least? But I go back to where I was. What stands out is what Jesus is asking them to do. Don't let any man know what I did. Let's see, all your wife, life you've walked with a guide stick. You've been led, led around by the hand by others. How do you disguise such a miracle? But I, I say even greater than that. How do you quench the emotional explosion of happiness that's coming forth from their heart. It'd be like asking a bird not to fly, asking a bird not to sing, or like telling your heart not to beat. I understand that Jesus is trying to control his popularity because the greater the joy, the greater the popularity. The thing that motivated people to come to Jesus was the joyful faces that left his presence. It was the rejoicing blind people. It was the, those that received healing for their limbs and the deaf that had their ears open. They saw the joy that surrounded him. 
Let's go to another example. See, this hasn't, doesn't happen just once. In Mark, the seventh chapter, verse 32, it says, Then they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And they took him aside from the multitude and put, and he put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephrata, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. Now, let's stop here for a moment. He, two things that are going on. He's totally deaf, and he cannot speak. Now, sometimes when you cannot hear, it might be difficult to speak because you cannot hear your voice. But in this case, I think he had something that physically was wrong with his speech because the Bible says he opened the string of his tongue. He did surgery on his tongue. He loosed his tongue and he opened his ears. And then in verse 36 it says, and he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much more, the gr a great deal, they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. <clears throat> Why would, how could you control that emotion? How could Jesus expect them not to go forth in joy and exuberance? For who much is done, much is expected, but the greater the pain, the greater the joy. When we come to church and we receive a deliverance, I mean a real deliverance, there is a spontaneous event that takes place in the mind, the body, and the heart, the complete person. Maybe in your lifetime, you can remember an event so powerful that it caused you to jump for joy and to shout at the top of your lungs in gratitude. I pause for a moment. Can you think of a time in your walk for God, that you remember God doing something for you that caused you to jump up and down for joy and to raise your voice and shout for joy. Now, I'm not talking about getting a birthday gift or something material. I'm not talking about somebody coming to you and paying off your car. I'm talking about something that only God could do. Something that changed your life. Now, obviously, you're here. God must have done something to change your life for you to be here. Because you weren't born here. You chose to be here. God did something in your life to make you want to give yourself totally over to him. So there must be in your background the potential for jubilation and praise. Now, since I'm up here and I have the mic, 
there are two things that come to my mind immediately. One is physical and the other one is spiritual. And I, I, I share my example, and some of you have probably heard it before, because I want through my testimony to bring your testimony back to the surface. Let me tackle the first one first. This first one took place while I was here. This, the one, this is one time I've had many, but this particular instance happened while I was attending Abundant Life Apostolic Church. The year was 2006. I had just come out of the recovery room at Oconomowoc Memorial Hospital. I had a simple surgery. I had my gallbladder removed. It was when I was getting ready to leave the emergency or the recovery room that I had a severe, severe pain in my head. So severe was the pain that I thought I was going to pass out. They rushed me to an emer the emergency room from the recovery room. They gave me an MRI. And I remember the doctor coming into that little emergency room and I remember looking at his face and the concern that I saw in his voice when he shared the results of that MRI. He said something like this, Steve, we found something in your brain that concerns us and we want to immediately refer you to a neurological surgeon. And I was fortunate enough to get an appointment with the head of neurology at St. Luke's Hospital. The doctor was well-respected, well-experienced. That's why he was the head of neurology. After the examination and more scans, he told me that surgery had to be done soon and that there was a mass in my brain that he had to remove. He told me the surgery would involve cutting into my skull and it involved delicate brain surgery. I was told after the surgery to expect seizures as part of the recovery. To say that I was terrified of what lay ahead would be an understatement. <clears throat> I prayed fervently along with my brother for God's intervention. I remember that so well. I told my brother not to tell anybody because I didn't think I could handle the sympathy that people would be giving to me along with my fear. Well, my brother talked to Brother Hook. Oh, man, the wrong guy to talk to, Brother Hook. And he shared it with all the ministers at the minister's conference. And I remember I was doing harvest time at the time, as I was selling, doing the sound recording for the for the conferences that we did and I remember them calling over the louds, the speaker over the pulpit for me to come up I wasn't even in the sanctuary I was out selling tapes or getting tapes ready and they brought me before the congregation of all the ministers and they laid their hands on me and prayed I didn't feel anything I mean, I felt the presence of God there, but I didn't feel anything in my head. I can't say that 
anything was different after they prayed. The only thing that was different is how people responded to me. Just as I feared, it was like each person that talked to me was trying to say goodbye. Oh, Brother Kyle, you've been such a wonderful guy. Not what I needed to hear. Well, the neurologist decided that before the surgery, which was coming up, he wanted to do one more MRI so he could map out exactly, again, how he was going to go in and do this. So we came to his office just before the surgery. My brother, my wife, and myself. And he took the scan and he put it on one of those little lighted shields. And he looked at it, and he looked at it again, and he stared at it some more. And then he turned around, walked away from us, and picked up his phone and called the radiology department at St. Luke's Hospital and asked them what they had done because he could not find any tumor in my brain. He was upset that he thought he'd made a mistake. He couldn't understand it. It was no longer there. It was no longer present. He had the previous scan next to that one. In one scan, it showed it, and we had multiple doctors that, that confirmed it, but it was gone. I remember him looking at me with a strange look on his face and telling me that there was no need for surgery at all. He could not seem to understand that the great physician had already operated and his services were no longer needed. Now, I told you that story because of what happens next. Can you imagine how we all felt especially me, as we walked out of that office laughing and patting each other on the back and praising God in the hallway of that hospital. We didn't care if people thought we were nuts. It was a joy that could not be contained. And I've been talking about it all these years later to ask me not to tell anyone what he did for me would be like Jesus asking the blind men not to rejoice or tell others about his regained sight or the deaf person that could now speak and could hear. It shouldn't take a pastor or a teacher to come up to a pulpit and encourage you to to have joy and to share your testimony. My, my next example is of a spiritual nature. This takes place when I'm 20 years old. And I shared a little bit about my coming to church, the first service. I had got baptized about a month after that first visit. I'd stopped coming to church and then the Lord just brought conviction on me. I came in and I I repented and was baptized. And the following week, me and my brother Rick and Liz, 
were at our Sunday evening service. Now, I can talk about them because I don't see either of them here. That's their fault. If I gives me free reign, they can't interrupt me. But Rick and, and Liz came in about the same time I did. They were only about a month or two before me. None of us were very well versed in scripture. I, had, I, I have to tell you this before I tell you the rest of the story. I had never ever in my entire life sat in a home Bible study. I'd only been coming to church a few times. I had never had anybody talk to me about what was going to happen that night. No one gave me instructions, nothing. So I'm going to tell you the story. Um, Brother Frank Tamil had preached that night. And um, I can't remember, it was a motivational message. I'm sure it was anointed. And after service was over, as was the custom, everyone came to the altar to pray. Now, me and my brother had grown up in a, a very Protestant, ecumenical church. Uh, we went to Methodist church and we went to Lutheran church growing up. My prayer skills <laughs> probably were like you when, you when you first come to church. Maybe you were farther along than me, but I didn't have any prayer skill at all. Um, I could, I could, my prayer was very non-existent. I remember after coming up to the altar, I knelt on the floor beside those people that were there because they were praying and I, I didn't want to stand out. They were exuberant. Again, they're full of joy. I remember saying, these people are professionals. I don't know how they can talk like that. They just go on and on and on and, and pray, and it comes so natural to them. And as I was thinking that way, someone tapped me on the shoulder, and they asked me to look to my left where Sister Liz Kiley was. I knew my sister-in-law. I'd known her for many years because Rick dated her for a while and we'd spent much time together. So I knew what kind of a person she was. She's a wonderful person. I better make sure I say that. I didn't know a lot of the people around me very well, but I knew her. And there she was. She had the biggest smile on her face. There were tears running down her face she was laughing and crying. I couldn't make out exactly what she was doing at any particular moment. All I know is she was excited and happy. And then somebody leaned down and whispered in my ear and said, um, your sister-in-law just received the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I see that expression on your face. I had no clue. Holy Ghost. I had no idea what they were talking about. But I did know this, bear with me, whatever she got, I wanted it. I wanted to have the joy that she was experiencing. There isn't a person in Oconomowoc or in Waukesha County or in the state of Wisconsin that doesn't want joy, that doesn't want peace, that doesn't want love. They need to see it in us. 
And when they see it in us, they'll desire it for themselves. You know, after I saw that, I got a little bit more desperate in my prayer. I started to call out on his name, the name of Jesus. I, I just called out on his name, saying the name over and over again. And then I felt that, just like you felt that when you received the Holy Ghost, I felt that emotion of joy and of love cascading down over me like I was sitting underneath a waterfall. I started to cry. My lips started to stammer. I didn't know what was going on exactly. My body was responding to something outside of itself. It was responding to the presence of God. If you were to ask me to have stammering lips, let me ask you a question right now. Make your, your lips stammer. Can you do it? <laughs> That's what I said. They were jumping all over the place. I'd never had stammering lips before. But here's what I did. Same thing that maybe you did. I shut down. I didn't know what was happening to me. I was losing control. And uh, I remember a little voice in my mind speaking to me. And I know people don't like to hear things like that, but it was like a little voice speaking to me and it reminded me of something that took place maybe a month and a half earlier. I had went to work. I worked at Sorgal Electric in Milwaukee on 9th and National. And I worked with transformers. I operated a crane. So I was doing heavy work lifting with the crane. And that night, a man had come to me and a friend of mine and said that he had bought something on the street that he'd been using, a drug, and he wanted me to try it. I trusted the guy. He said, it ain't going to hurt you. I've taken it before. Now, I'm, not, I'm ashamed of this. And I, it was a very stupid, one of the stupidest things I ever did in my life. I took the pill, and it was what we called speed. And you should have saw the work I got done that night. There were things flying around, and I remember the boss coming to me afterwards, and he said, if you ever do this again, I will fire you. He knew exactly what was happening. Well, the Lord brought that to my mind, and he said to me, Steve, can you trust me as much as you did your friend? Do you have as much trust for me as your friends? And I decided at that moment I could trust God much more than I could trust any friend. And to make a long story short, I, I surrendered to what I was feeling. I surrendered to the movement of the Spirit. And I began to allow the joy and the peace and the love to flood and flow through me. The more I spoke, and I started to speak in language I didn't even know what it was, but I didn't care because all I know is the more I spoke, the greater I felt. The more I yielded my mouth, my lips, my tongue, my, my being to God, all I know is that the, the love and the peace grew greater and greater. No one had taught me about speaking in tongues, but I was being born again.
I began to love these people like I'd never loved before. You know when we've got to get up behind the pulpit and tell people that they have to love one another? They've got to start loving one another? Do you know what we're saying? That we're not in communication with God. Because love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. True love or the essence of God comes from our relationship with God. If I cannot love my brother, I am indirectly saying that I have no fellowship with God. Because the Holy Spirit is a vessel or a tube that allows the love of God to flow through me to others. If I say I can't love my brother, I am really saying I have put on a a valve on my life and shut off the presence of God. When you have the Spirit of God in you, it will change everything about you. Okay, I'm watching... The clock, I think Brother Russ said it was off, so it's probably running fast. So I'm gonna, I got, probably got a few extra minutes. But I want to share what happened next. You know, God, the devil always tests you. I know you heard this, but I love telling this story. I was the last person at the altar. I, I didn't want anybody to leave. I was hugging everybody. Mr. Introvert was hugging women, children, boys, girls, anyone. Love was just flowing off of me. And then, as I, I was one of the last people, Sister Barch, I remember this name all these years later. She came up to me and she was crying. And it wasn't tears of joy. She had um, T-boned my, my maroon 66 Mustang in the parking lot. T-boned it, right? The driver's door. Smashed it in. Now, if that would have happened again, and I, I know you've heard, some of you have heard the story, but let me say it one more time. It was like that car was the most important thing in my life. I didn't own a home. I had put all my money together to have something nice, and now that was gone. But you know what? What God had put inside here changed what should have happened up here. When I put God's love and allowed it into my life, it changed how I reacted to adversity or problems. So to sum up all of what I've said tonight, the major source of our power comes through our relationship with the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. If I shut off the gifts, I break down communication. If I inhibit the fruits, I detract, I do not allow others to see the goodness of God and I shut down the ministry. Again, what's going to bring people into a relationship with God? Yes, you have to have a building. But there's a lot of buildings. The thing that will attract them to the, to the altar and to God is your relationship to God, your exuberancy in worship 
and your love for one another. That's door number one, and that's the winner. I think I had a verse I wanted to end with. I think it, I can't remember what it was, but I, I really liked it when I, I wrote it down. Oh, yes, this is what it was. I read this. My, I love reading the Bible. I, re, I come across these things and I say, wow, I never, I never thought about that that way. Mark seven twenty four. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. He tried, he was trying to hide. The ministry is so overwhelming. He goes into a home in the vicinity of Tyra, and he doesn't want anybody to know that he's there, but he could not keep his presence secret. You start spreading joy. You start loving people. And if they start to see your exuberancy, they'll find you. You will not be able to hide. You won't be praying for a Bible study. You'll be saying, Lord, how do I teach so many Bible studies? Because you will not be able to keep them away. The darker the night, the brighter the light. So let's stand together. It is joy unspeakable, and it is full of glory, and the half has not been told. And Lord, I pray tonight as we we come to a close that, Lord, take me back. Take me back to the place where I once received you, Remind me of how I danced before you and shouted for joy. Remind me of how I ran before the Lord with my hands above my head and rejoiced. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 262- 965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.